Amen. You may be seated. It is good to be all with all of you today. My name is Stephen Tipton, and I'm an elder out of context here at Christ Church Westchester. Now, I say out of context because, as many of you know, but maybe some of you don't, uh, my wife, Alexandra, and I will be heading out of the country soon to go and support and help establish churches over in the country of Japan. Now, we're very sad to be leaving soon, but I'm thankful uh, to be up with you all uh, to open the word to you one last time before heading out. Uh, for, for those of you who are regularly with us, you might be wondering if we're ever going to get back to James. And the answer is yes, we will. Uh, next week, Pastor Raymond will be back here, uh, and he will be opening up uh, the book of James uh, to us again. But for right now, uh, for the sermons that Raymond is not here for, we are going to be going back to the, to the four Gospels and resurrecting, pun intended, a series from a while ago called Story Jesus Told. Some of these stories will be familiar to you and some perhaps not, uh, but today we're going to be going to probably one of those more familiar ones in the Gospel of Matthew. So right now you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18, verses 10 to 14. Again, that's Matthew 18, 10 through 14. As Matthew is writing his Gospel, he's writing about Jesus going throughout the land of Israel, and he, he tells about how Jesus is proclaiming and calling people to the kingdom of God. And an invitation to the kingdom is an invitation not just to experience uh, heaven, but an invitation to be like God. Not in the way that Adam and Eve wanted to be like God. As this, the serpent said, oh, if you eat the fruit, you're going to be like God. Uh, and, and so they ate out of mistrust of God. Instead, the way that we are called to be like God is that we're called to emulate his goodness and grace and, uh, and the grace that uh, is not to be done, this goodness that we're doing is not to be done to be praised by others. But at the same time, it will be so bright and, and big like a city on a hill that it'll be impossible for people to miss. And it'll be impossible for people to not praise God for his goodness. Christians are, to, uh, are able to see this play out everywhere they go, of course, but there's a special way that every, everything coalesces when believers come together to do spiritual good to one another and so proclaim the gospel together. And so in this part of Matthew, Jesus begins to talk about the church. Not a, now a local church is more than just a building. It is a group of believers coming together in an orderly way, proclaiming the gospel through baptism, the Lord's Supper, singing, reading, and explaining scripture. Again, if in case you haven't heard of a concise definition of, of church. I'm just going to say that again. A local church is a group of believers coming together in an orderly way, proclaiming the gospel through baptism, the Lord's Supper, singing and reading and explaining scripture. And we don't see the church come up in this uh, set of verses that we're going to be looking at today, but it does come at the end of this chapter. And so we, we can see that all that Jesus is talking about in this chapter 18 is meant to be applied to the context of the church, uh, to the context of believers living humbly with each other as they help one another in their fight against sin and in, in their uh, walk to come to Christ. And now we get to eavesdrop into this moment. Jesus probably sitting with his disciples and a child in the midst of them. With that in mind, let us read Matthew 18, verses 10 through 14. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, 
For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, the, the Father who loves us so much uh, that he gave his one and only Son, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God, we, we come to you in the name of Christ, uh, the one who died for us. Uh, we come to you, Christ, the one who died for us. Thank you. We come to thank you and we come to learn from you. We come to, to learn from your word. Uh, so that we can be better followers of you, so that we can be better disciples. We come to your word so that we can learn how to be better members one of another. We come to your word so that we can know how to be cities on a hill. And God, we pray that you would help us, that you would open up our ears, open up our hearts today. Help us to uh, continue on this walk. Can help us to see the ways that your spirit is working in us. Help us to rely not uh, on our own goodness as we hear this, but on your spirit uh, by whom you're working in us. God, help us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A warning and two reasons. A warning and two reasons. That is how Jesus chooses to teach his disciples and how the disciples and the Holy Spirit have chosen to teach us in this scripture. Like we noticed earlier, this is, the scene is Jesus probably sitting with his disciples and simply talking to them. This is not one of his sermons in the synagogue in front of a big group. Instead, he is taking the opportunity of the moment. There's an argument. Immaturity, really. No, I'm going to sit at Jesus' right hand when he takes that over everything. Well, I'm going to sit in his left hand then. And in the midst of Jesus' hand-picked leaders acting like children, he puts a literal child in the middle of them and teaches them how to turn. How to become like children in the way that they really should be like children. Now, as Pastor Raymond taught in his series on Mark, Jesus in this, uh, er, in this section is not saying that there's anything particularly holy or ideal about children uh, that we're supposed to emulate. They sin just as much as we do. Rather, their lack of status and th their lack of their ability to say, well, I'm, I'm this great, uh, is a position that we should desire instead of the positions that we usually want. And so we arrive in this section where Jesus further develops this argument for a humble church, loving and helping each other as God does. So we see, again, first, a warning. A warning. Jesus introduces this section of his teaching with a warning. In this chapter, he has already warned against pride and then against coddling sin. But now he goes and says and warns, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. Now, when we see this term, these little ones, we should go back, when we see the, the, the word these, to, to, we should go back uh, in, in Scripture and see what he, why he's saying these, because he's obviously referring to something in the past. And we should, we should see that he's continuing his thought from before, when he first brought the child into the midst of them. Uh, but he's not merely talking about children here, uh, though they are not excluded, of course. He now is identifying us with children so much so that when he refers to these little ones, he's referring to all those who are in the fold of the church. 
And when you get a group of people together, especially a group of people who are trying to be marked by love and humility, it will be easy for the leaders, and really anyone in the church, to throw off their own humility and instead despise certain people who seem a little too humble, seem a little too small or insignificant. And so Jesus preemptively warns the disciples, hey, you're going to have a lot of humble, seemingly insignificant people under your care, and it will be really, really easy to despise them, to ignore them, to focus instead on the prominent and the powerful, the people that can really get you somewhere. And he's saying, don't do that. That's not what I came to do, and it's not your job either. Resist that temptation, even if it feels insignificant or even worthless to be spending time on humble people. And once again, doesn't Christ just speak to us through the ages? He's not just speaking to them back 2,000 years ago. He's speaking to us now. It speaks to our experience quite a bit, I think. I'd often rather read or listen to someone, uh, some important prominent figure on any given uh, uh, event or top, hot topic, I'd rather do that than ask someone right next to me in my own, own context uh, to help me process or to ask them how they're feeling about this. I'd r- naturally rather disciple or spend time with someone who has all the cool stuff uh, or is the super smart one who's super fun to talk to. I'm comfortable reading a book on depression but I'm, but by, who's, that's by an expert, but I'm not really prone to go and find someone who struggles with depression themselves and just sit with them in the awkwardness of hearing how hard life can be for them. Now, reading thoughtful people's books is important, and getting an expert's opinion is also, also sometimes important so that you can, because they've thought about it a long time, it can help us process. Uh, but working through these issues together in a, in, a, in a community is even so much more important because it helps us realize that these things aren't just abstract aren't just abstract concepts. They're real lived experiences that people right now in our own midst are going through. So just get to know people. Listen to them. Widen the group of who you're talking to. Uh, widen the group of who, people who you're regularly spending time with. I know it's hard to actually live life with people for some of us, but it's worth it. It's the real work of ministry. Uh, Because, by the way, you are all ministers in a sense. You're all doing the work of ministry. It's not just the people who are up here. It's not just the pastors or the interns. It's all of us who have a responsibility of ministry to one another. And never write someone off as a lost cause. Children, I'm talking literal children here right now. You have a responsibility uh, to take care of people uh, who are in this church. Uh, No matter how cool they seem or you feel like you are, uh, young adults, you have a lot, uh, you have a wide range of people to help, and these people actually do want your help. They want the flexibility that you have to help babysit their children, or to help them in, in many other ways, to give them encouragement, to let them know that you really don't think that they're a bad parent, or someone, uh, you know, so who's a, a, a child, they want you to come and take them under their, your wing. So you have a lot more to offer than you might think to people who are different than you. Uh, friends with kids who, uh, who have left the, the house or people who are retired, we need you and your experience, your perspective, your God-given faith that has been strengthened and grown throughout the years. Uh, for, from young to old, we all have work to do, and that work is to love. And that, that is hard work, though. 
That's not supposed to be a pessimistic statement that, it, that this is all hard. But we are complicated people who go through all sorts of mental, intellectual, and emotional experiences that make relationships hard to build. But that doesn't mean they're not worth it to build. We don't want to confront people to help them grow. That's true. We don't want to be hurt uh, in, in relationships. So we don't want to get it, we don't want to get too close. We often close ourselves off to others. We don't want to feel bored or awkward sometimes, so we avoid having small talk or building relationships with people that we feel like we just can't have good conversations with. But when we do these things to others, we're actually despising them. We're despising the little ones in our lives, even if we don't realize it in the moment. And Jesus is pretty straightforward about the fact that we just can't afford to do that in the church. That's not going to build a deep close community that is going to come together and help each other grow in Christ. But Jesus is not just ordering his disciples around in this moment. He gives reasoning behind his teaching. And so in our, in our, uh, we have not just a warning, but we have these two reasons that we're going to get to soon. In our lives, we don't always have to give a reason. We don't always have time to give a reason for uh, what we want, what we're asking someone to do. But as much as possible, I think we should follow Jesus' model right here and find out reasons uh, for why we're asking for, for things. It's healthy for you, who, unlike Jesus, are imperfect, uh, it, w to think of why you're asking someone to do something so that you can realize, am I, am I asking for the right motives? And it's helpful for the people that, even if you realize that you have a good reason, it's helpful for the people who you're asking to help uh, to give a reason. Because people want to know that they're doing good work. They don't want to, I mean, they, when it comes to us as pastors, yes, it, it, there, there is beauty in the, the, the way that uh, people, that the flock submits to their, to their elders, but it's not supposed to be a blind, just do what I say. Uh, people, no matter what position you are in, whatever position that you're giving orders to people or you're asking people to do something, you are, have the ability to point people to the beauty that they are adding to this world. So as we give reasons, we are helping people see just the, the way that they actually do have a purpose and do mean something to this world and to this individual church. So uh, the next time someone asks you a reason why, think of a reason why. Especially, I know a lot of people uh, have their own children who like to ask why 50 times in a row. But when that happens, take a deep breath and remember how you can use this moment to help him or her know how God has ordered this world and how our actions have an impact. Now again, we have two reasons that Jesus gives in this passage. Now reason one, their angels devote their time to these little ones. Again, reason one, angels devote their time to these little ones. See verse 11. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Now this is usually the type of thing that if I had a longer passage, I would try to skip over. Uh, so, so as to not have to uh, figure out what it means. But this is a short passage, so I got to dig in this week into to what this means. And uh, I, was, I was very thankful for that time in the Word this week. Uh, thankfully, we don't just have this passage to figure out what this means, but we have uh, the book of Psalms that talk a lot about angels. Uh, and we have the, the letter to the Hebrews, especially the early part, that teach us that angels are there uh, in heaven, and they are ministers of God, and they're ministers not just for uh, big things in this world, but they're ministers 
there to help God's people along the path of life. Uh, although we don't really know much about how angels individually help, we are told uh, that angels go out and they serve God's people so that they are protected all along their path until their journey is done, until the good works prepared for them are accomplished. Although perhaps children might have a special, this, might, this passage might mean that children have a special amount of care devoted to them. We, we can't be certain about that. What's more clear is that the lack of status on earth for any person does not exclude someone from being under the care of God's heavenly angels. Again, what's more clear is that a lack of status on earth does not exclude someone from being under the care of God's heavenly angels. All God's people are important enough to have God's angels guarding them, he's saying. These, pe- these beings that regularly see God's glory, something we cannot do, are also tasked with helping God's humble people. While people might ignore children and the poor and others and, and instead focus on the more important people, Jesus tells us that God cares about these small people who we tend to ignore. He cares about them enough to give them the equivalent of their own secret service. And that is the beauty of humility in God's kingdom. You do not have to draw attention to yourself because the God of the universe cares about you. When you act all important and raise yourself up, you will actually be brought low, is what Scripture teaches all over Old and New Testament. But when you humble yourself before God, He will raise you, and you will have more than enough affirmation in Him and in His love. You will have more than enough support from Him in in the midst of your humility. If then someone is important enough to be ministered by angels, Jesus says, why would you ever despise them? Now, sometimes there are Christians that have pretty cool lives. In the book of Acts, we see in the church at Antioch, there was a guy who was actually a lifelong friend of Herod the king. This guy got to spend supposedly regular time with one of the most important men in the world at that that time. But that did not make him any more special than any of the people at at the church at Antioch. In fact, it seems like he was just worshiping and breaking bread uh, and doing Bible studies with people who were seemingly less important than him to the eyes of most of the world. And really to the world, the church should seem like a strange place, shouldn't it? There are people doing good to one another and getting to know each other uh, who would never normally interact in daily life. People who have several butlers or servants uh, may end up leading a Bible study with someone who uh, is a garbage person. There should be no hindrance for things like this happening in the church. Uh, There should be no reason that someone would say, oh, I'm not going to interact with that person because I'm more important than them. Some of you might think that this means that there should be no leadership structures at all because that creates important and by default unimportant people, but that it doesn't have to be the way. And scripture and experience shows us that leaders are necessary. Jesus is even in this moment building up leaders for the church, but he's teaching them to be humble leaders. The point here is that leaders need to value others more than themselves. They need to pay attention to all who are under their care because each and every person is valuable to God. That is why in Acts 6, when we see these same disciples uh, now in their leadership roles, uh, and they find out that some Greek-speaking members of their congregation are being neglected, uh, they are quick to find a solution. They don't want to see anyone in the church body being despised. So I encourage you all in this local church 
to be sensitive to the needs of others. People will tell you about their needs in different ways. And some people will be quick to tell you verbally, and some people will suffer silently. So you need to avoid both dismissiveness to those people who are asking you for help very often, uh, and you need to uh, learn to be attuned to the people who are quieter. You need to be watching out for areas that they're being neglected or ignored. And this is hard work because often those people think a lot differently than you do. Uh, they might be ignored in discipleship or in benevolence needs or many other areas. But from children to seniors, male to female, all ethnicities, there are needs that you can help with, no matter who you are. Some need encouragement. Some need someone to help them see sin in their lives. Some people see the sin in their lives, and they need help uh, from someone who's very patient to help them fight it. All of these people have angels, though not necessarily their own personal guardian angel that we might think of uh, in, in, in stories and media. But all of these people have angels who are before God waiting for a command to go and help these people, to help these little ones. And maybe that the way that these angels are uh, helping them right now is by putting you in their path. Don't underestimate the normal ways God is using you. Don't underestimate the importance of the people in your local church and the ways that you can help them. Now, additionally, this is just a reminder to be patient with others. The term little ones doesn't, and it shouldn't make us think about perfection. And if it anything, it might make us think of the opposite. When we're, uh, when we're upset with people's progress or their opinions, their choices, remember that they are works in progress and that you are a work in process, just like the apostles were, uh, just like everyone is. You're also a little one. Don't despise the people who are more visibly struggling with sin. And don't write them off. If they confess Christ, then they are precious children of God who are secure and are loved in the Lord. Because of their faith in Christ, they have Christ's righteousness and do not need to earn their salvation. They need help growing in Christ instead. And it's a very gradual growth. We need to, know, we need to realize that. Sure, they probably have things to work on, and that's, that's why we have each other. But they need patient help. They're not lost causes, and they probably need enc encouragement and affirmation more than they need a lecture. They need help to see the small growths. But there will be those who struggle, and there will be those who risk falling away. So we have reason two. Reason two. God loves those little, these little ones more than you can imagine. God loves these little ones more than you can imagine. See our text again. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them has gone astray... Does he not lead the 99 on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. So, will, it, will not be the, so it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Now Jesus is giving an illustration here of a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one wanders off. Now that means he has 99 left, which is really not that bad in my view, uh, 99 out of, you know, 100, not that big of a difference. And he could just call it a day and care for the 99 that are there. After all, they're less trouble anyways. And since they're not prone to wander off, obviously. But what does the shepherd do? He does not despise the one little sheep. Instead, he leaves the 99 and heads off in search of it, not knowing where it is at all. Uh, and he, he is that caring because he doesn't want to lose even one. 
Now, the shepherd certainly represents God's love for lost people. We see right here in the text. It's very obvious. But uh, it's not just uh, here to help us see how much God loves us. It certainly is. But it's also here to give us a standard for the love that these disciples and really all church members after them uh, should have for their fellow members. They should not be like the Pharisees who saw any contact with a sinner as a defiling act. Again, this is an important reminder for us in the church that those who have been Christians for a while and have a pretty good outward holiness, sometimes genuine and sometimes a veneer, uh, we, people who have been Christians for a long time are tempted to despise those who are outwardly struggling with sin. But we must fight against this tendency to feel like we've made it. And instead, we need to live in a community of love and care. What I mean by this is that we need to realize that we are all sinners heading towards heaven. And that on the way, we have a responsibility towards each other, no matter who we are. Are you a mature Christian? Don't, uh, if you are a mature Christian, don't think you can't fall. And especially don't begrudge someone, even someone who's a really young Christian, uh, for bringing up a sin in your life and confronting you on it. Uh, on the opposite side, are you a, a younger Christian? Accept help. And if, if you aren't getting it, ask for it. Don't be afraid to go and ask someone, hey, can you disciple me? Or can you, I, I'm really struggling with this. Can you pray for me with this? Uh, can, can we meet regularly to talk about how I can get over this? If you know the gospel, uh, you can encourage anyone who's a fellow believer. So even young Christians, don't be afraid to go and talk to other people about how a way that you can encourage them, even someone who's been a Christian for a while, how you, how you can encourage them in their walk in the Lord. Uh, Christians, young and old, pursue each other as you see needs arise. And how are we to pursue? We're to pursue in the way that God does, as shown here in the gospel and in this parable specifically. And, and the way that he pursues people is patiently and sacrificially. Now, when I say patiently, I mean that this will often take a while, and it might involve people getting upset at us for, for a time uh, until they realize uh, their sin. And I say sacrificially because this will take time that we don't feel like we have, probably. It will take us a lot of mental bandwidth to think through ways, uh, think through either the questions or think through ways that we can encourage them to follow the Lord. It will take sacrifice, and it will involve not getting what we want often uh, in our church or in our relationships or with our money or, or with many other things that we have in our lives. And by our sacrifice, though, we are drawing their eyes to the sacrifice of Christ by which they can return to the church. And so the cross becomes our instigator and the wandering brother's motivator. We always have to remember when reading the Gospels that Jesus isn't teaching a cheap grace. He's never saying, just forgive people uh, or just love people. This search and this ability to bring back the wanderer is not free. The shepherd has to give up his time and put himself in danger to rescue the sheep. Jesus Christ himself, he came down from heaven, humbled himself to the point of the cross, to, and, and died for his little ones. He was, not, he was despised for us, to rescue us. Now this is beautiful news. It draws our hearts, both, uh, both the, the hearts of Christians and non-Christians, to the beauty of this sacrificial love. But Christians realize the true significance of the cross and how much that actually calls us to. You see, from the cross, Jesus not only calls us to believe,
but also to follow him. From the tree, he is saying, I have died for sin, now you die to sin. Put to death that which is earthly in you, then. And we not only follow him in putting sin to death, but also in sacrificing for others. We love the picture of the cross, uh, and we cherish it, but then we realize that in the church, we're going to have to die several times over for our brothers and sisters who are struggling with sin along with us. Jesus' sacrifice for sinners shows us to what length we should go to take care of our church family. The kind of attitude that says, ah, we're better off without him anyways, has no place in the church. Saying, I just wish that so-and-so would go away and stop causing drama. Instead of praying for him and reading the Bible with him is not what Christ-likeness is. If you, re- if you read on in the passage beyond uh, what we are looking at today, you will see that there comes a time when you need to tell someone, hey, I know that you, you're saying that you're a Christian, but because you're protecting your sin instead of killing it, uh, and even uh, after people have warned you again and again, uh, we, we, we as a church cannot affirm uh, your profession of faith. But even then, uh, you still need to earnestly love sinners, uh, regardless of uh, your relationship to them. When uh, your, your willingness to care for that person should not diminish. God doesn't want to see them perish. Neither should you. No matter how much you have to bear with them, see that you do not despise one of these little ones because God cares about them more than you can imagine. Notice also that he says in this parable, he says, if he finds the sheep. Now, if you are a member of this church, you realize that God is sovereign, right, as we read in the confession, and all whom he has predestined will come to him in the end. But we do not know who those people are. And so we're called to go and work on everyone that we see. And we need to go into the work of care and restoration with this in mind. We don't have guaranteed success, at least success in the way that we think that we, we want success. We may not see fruit come from our labors, but this is not a reason to avoid working. It is actually a truth meant to sustain our work. You are not a failure for not saving everyone. By all means, evaluate your work and how you're counseling others, but always have an asterisk besides these apparent failures in your mind. God is at, is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Uh, and he is doing good work in you. And he has laid good works for you, uh, prepared for you, that you should walk in them. Uh, and if you are walking in step with the Spirit, if you are uh, relying on, on his Spirit and the help of others, you are walking in those ways, whether you realize it or not. Now, if you are someone who has been wondering and resisting God's call home for a while, hear this. Right now is not too late to come, though there will be a day when it is too late. God desires for all to come to a knowledge of the truth and to repent, to turn from their sins and follow him. In fact, his joy at your return will be so great, it will seem like uh, it it doesn't even compare to the joy that he has over the people who uh, seem to be more straight-laced than you. But this isn't meant to make uh, the people who, who didn't, haven't wondered, seem less loved. But instead, it's just dr- uh, meant to dramatically remove all reasons for people to delay coming to Christ. Because it's meant to show how great God's love is for people, uh, no matter what they've done. It also, again, further bolsters Jesus' argument that God absolutely loves even the most insignificant people in our minds. You may have noticed in your own experience, whenever there's a significant Christian celebrity 
uh, or a significant pastor who leaves the faith or is shown to be uh, in unrepentant sin, uh, that there's a cloud that hangs over the Christian community for a while. There have been a couple over the past couple of years that you might remember. Uh, there's good reason to mourn uh, these events, but God ca- God's care is a lot broader and deeper than ours is. He cares about the child who grew up in the church, who has grown disinterested and has gradually uh, gone away from the church. He cares about the single mother who at one time was soaking up the, the preaching and the, the word uh, being uh, explained at church, but now feels isolated and unsupported uh, to continue her walk with the Lord. He cares about the older individual who is giving up hope as he reaches his last days. He yearns for the woman who is leaving Christianity and going to a different group who she feels is more accepting. People like this leave the fold every day, and often they are unnoticed when they leave. We get busy with other things. We focus on the 99 instead. We get busy with some other things that really don't matter as much as the things that God has told us to really focus on. God's love is focused on the things that are most important, on the people who are our most important, the people who we often ignore. So far, I have been trying to focus on the main command of this section, that Jesus says, make sure you don't despise one of these little ones. Uh, and focusing on command, I realize, can make for a heavier certain, a sermon for some of us uh, when we're just focusing on what we're doing wrong uh, and what we need to be doing better. And that is a purpose in Scripture, and it is a helpful thing for us uh, to help us grow uh, in the Lord. But I just want to end on this time by focusing on how great God's love for, for you is. Uh, perhaps you feel small or you're afraid to humble yourself, and the feeling of insignificance makes it hard for you to be happy or to feel uh, any sort of joy. But may- maybe there's a lot of ways people have made you feel small or worthless or even beyond redemption. Maybe you feel like you'll never be good enough. Take heart, though, that no matter what, uh, no matter where you are today, no matter what you've done, God is ready to welcome you with joy. And if you're not a Christian, I encourage you to come to Christ. There's nothing in the way of you coming to Christ today. Uh, I I encourage you to turn from your sin and to, to come to believe the great gospel that Christ has died for our sins, and there's no condemnation for those who are in him. If you have any questions about that, come talk to me. I'll be at the tunnel uh, after the service, or come talk to any uh, member at this church. We would love, we would all love to explain the gospel to you and help you uh, to learn how it is that you can become a Christian. Now, for those who feel like their sin has made them unredeemable, of course, we're not supposed to sin in order to magnify his grace, but if you have sinned greatly, your return to the Lord will magnify his grace greatly. He was despised and rejected so that you wouldn't be. And God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with Christ give us graci- graciously give us all things? And if you are in Christ, God is for you. God loves you. He supports you. He rejoices over you. His love will never end for you. His protection plan for you extends all the way from your local church to angels. His commitment to you is much greater than a shepherd for his sheep. I know that it can feel hard to go on. I know that there will be moments when you cannot feel his love. There are many realities that we are blind to. We cannot see the ways that God is caring for us. But rest in his love. Rest in the knowledge that 
he will never leave you or forsake you. Rest in the, the knowledge that he has provided a church family for you. Go home today and read a psalm or go and phone a friend uh, and say, hey, I just need encouragement. I need a reminder of God's love. Meditate on his goodness and mercy that endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. So there you have it. Because God cares about his humble people, which is all of us, and he cares enough to send out angels to help and to search high and low for us, because of all these things, take care of each other. Don't ignore one another. Don't refuse uh, to disciple someone because you feel like they're not significant enough or you wouldn't have a good time. Seek after one another when there are problems. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven us. Remind one another of God's love and the ways that you uh, have experienced it together. And remind each other of these things as you continue on to the new heavens and new earth, where you, will, where you will experience his love and you will experience God himself more fully. Encourage one another with these things, little ones. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have taken care of us uh, so much in ways that we don't even realize. You have sent protection uh, in many forms for us. You have searched way more than we realize. Uh, we, you have borne with us way more than, you, than we re realize. And you have borne with us because you love us. You have borne with us in joy. And God, we pray that we would, do, we would show that same love and care and patience and dedication to one another. Uh, and we pray that we would not just stick to that in, in this congregation and the body that we have right now, but that we would reach out to others uh, and show patience and care and love to people who do not know you yet uh, in Westchester, uh, in Pennsylvania, in the country, and to the ends of the earth, God. Uh, we know that you are at work. Uh, help us to see how you are wor working in us today. Help us to not ignore the people who seem insignificant to us. Help us to, to notice them today by, by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please continue and stand and worship with us.